Go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In the New Testament, after the, the Gospels, keep going and Romans, and then you hit 1 and 2 Corinthians. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As you're turning there, um, just, just feeling as we were just led in worship in a time of, of seeking the Lord, I, I want to continue in that same mindset. And um, I want us to just have our hearts that have already been prepared through singing, through worshiping, to continue to have our hearts um, guided in that same way. And so before we jump into the word together, I want us to spend some time, you on your own, some time with the Lord. We're, we're going to spend just a quick time in prayer where you're going to just, you're going you're to start the time before we jump into the word and we're going to seek the Lord together. And so here's what I want you to do. There's going to be two things I want you to pray. Think of it this way. Think of two actions that you could be praying about right now. The first action is this. I'm going to lay down. I'm, there's some things I need to lay down before the Lord. Whether that's sin, maybe those are fears, maybe it's a life situation you're in right now where, where you're grabbing a hold, controlling, and what am I going to do? Maybe right now, you just have an opportunity before we jump into the Word that you would say, God, I give you this. And specifically, what is that? Whether it's sin or brokenness or fear or a life situation, you would say, I give this. And then then, then you're going to pray this, and Lord, I receive. What do you need from the Lord this morning? Pray for it. Say, God, I need this today. Lord, I don't know what you put on Kai's heart to preach, but I know you've got a word for me, God, and this is what I need from you this morning. So let's take some time right now before we jump into the word that you would take just a quick moment. What do you need to pray? Lord, I need to give you this And with open hands, I want to receive this. Let's take that time right now. Lord, there are so many things we can think about that we um, <clears throat> don't want to carry any longer. And so, God, this morning, I, I'm thankful for the fact that you hear our prayers and that even now that, that, that prayers are being answered, that, that things that are being let go of, God, in your grace, by the power of your spirit, there is a release now. And that, God, you also promised to just pour out good gifts on us. So, God, the, the hearts that have lifted up voices, you saying, God, this is what I need from you today. God, I pray. God, I pray by the power of your spirit in a way only you can that this morning, God, you supply. You supply every need according to your riches and glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles open to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, let me catch you up a bit on this because we're just going to jump into a few verses in the context of a, of a whole letter. And so we have to understand that this is a, a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the first century to a very messed up church. They had so many issues and Paul's trying to unpack so many of these issues as he's sending this letter. There's, there's so much disunity in this church. There's so much immaturity in this church. So much sin in this church. I mean, even after, it's a church that have, have radically come to Christ, given their life to Christ, and yet still so much messed up in this church. Sin still rampant. There, there was sexual sin in this church. There was just horrible. There was, there was greed. The, the, how they treated each other. There was not a unity or a love on display. And here they are, though. What, what you're seeing in this church is they were grasping for something. They were looking for joy for purpose, for identity, but they're always coming up short of that joy. So then the question you have to ask is, well, then how do we as a church today, 
How do we break through all the stuff of life, all the temptations, all the sin, all the distractions, all the things that can come in the way of what we're trying to go after? We're trying to go after a deeper joy. How how do we get that clear focus that would result in joy? Now, so far in this series, what have we learned? We've learned that, that, that all of us have something in us, created by God, something in us that drives us, drives our heart to be these worshipers, these glory seekers, Hardwired for that, hardwired to worship. John Calvin said our hearts are little idol factories. So, so naturally, by God's design, we're all worshipers. We, we, we want our hearts to be lifted up above the mundane of life. We want to see something more glorious, something that is soul-satisfying, something that is awe-inspiring, something that brings deep joy. And so our hearts are drawn to worship, to glory. But here's where our lives can be stopped short of the joy we were created for. When we stop short of that greater glory. Like like only ever eating at McDonald's because you didn't know there were things like brisket and tenderloin steak and sushi and really good chocolate cake. You didn't know any of that, so so you stop at the lesser joy. In fact, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. He says this, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea, we're far too easily pleased. What a statement, right? We are so far too easily pleased that we can miss out on the ultimate joy promised by God. Not because we have desires that are too strong towards sin. No, but our our desires are way too weak. We're stopping short of a greater joy. So so before we jump into the text, let let me catch us up to where we've been this whole series. Here's our last sermon of the series. So let me do just a super quick recap. We gotta get to, before we dive into these verses, where, where does it begin? So if you're taking notes, here's our first point this morning. There is good news, bad news, and amazing news. There's good news, there's bad news, there's amazing news. The, the good news is that God created you and me, created us to have a relationship with him. Right, to have our hearts and minds wired towards seeking him, filled with worship of him, created to experience the glory of God in a way that we find ultimate joy. And so God's whole point is God saying, I'm going to be glorified. God is for God. He is for his glory. And here's why it's great news for us, because if God is the most glorious, if if God is infinitely beautiful, if he is perfect in power and in wisdom, then the best news ever, how would he love us the best? What could God give us so that we could enjoy life? That we could, what would be the most loving thing for God to do? Well, the best thing God could do is to give us himself. Is to say, find your glory in me. And I love how Psalm 1611 says, it says, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I mean, the good news is that, that God is after our joy. The good news is that he's created us so that we could be filled with this joy. But here's the bad news. The bad news is we've fallen very short of that glory. 
right? Our, our hearts push back. We, we want to be the center. God, you want the glory. No, I want the glory. And in, and in doing so, we lose that relationship with God. Our sin then cuts us off from this joy, from this relationship, separated by sin from the one relationship that brings us eternal joy. And then in that sin, listen, in that pride, we become so dumb, we become so blind, so we seek after these lesser glories and hope that they'll give us an ultimate joy. Again, far too easily pleased. So, so Satan comes along and he, he dangles little trinkets in front of us here, a trinket of yourself and your own ego, a, a trinket of stuff, a, a trinket of other people, and we grab for them and we exchange the all-satisfying glory of God for the glory of lesser things. And it, it's plummeted us into what we would call sin. And that sin has affected every one of us. And the bad news is this, our hearts are so bent by sin that left on our own, we just keep seeking joy after these lesser things in these empty places. It's in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, where, where it says that we, we turn from God who promises us life to go after things that don't give us life. The, the imagery in Jeremiah says, God is saying, I have the water of life and you keep digging out cisterns that do not provide good water. Let me bring it to our context. Let's think of it this way, if that doesn't kind of hit you. God's saying, I have life-giving water for you and we keep turning around and drinking from the toilet. That's pretty much it. And in our blindness, in our sin, we follow our dog right to the toilet every time. This is where I'll get life. This is where I'll have joy. That's the bad news. Here's the amazing news. The amazing news is that God has not cut you off and left you in this futile pursuit. No, no, God's pursued you. Because of his mercy and his justice and his great love for us, he didn't leave us on our own in our sin and in this blind pursuit. No, he sent Christ, his son, Jesus, as a solution for this sin problem. Because we don't just need a new direction in our life. We don't just, well, just focus your life in a different way. No, no, we need a whole new heart that would actually want to pursue after God and his glory. So Jesus comes, he lives the perfect life that we needed to live to be in relationship with God. He dies a death in our place, the death we deserve because of the sin we chose. And he rose from the grave to defeat death and sin. And he did this for us, all of this for us, because we couldn't do it for ourselves. And so then what do we do? We respond to this gift and we, we, we accept, we rest in, we say, Lord, thank you for this forgiveness. Thank you for your sovereign rule in my life. I'm turning from doing my life on my own terms and I wanna follow after you now. And our hearts are changed and this relationship is restored. And listen, now we can pursue a deep joy in knowing him. I love how Ephesians 1 says it. It talks about that, that, that through Christ, we're now accepted. That this relationship now, that it's through Christ, it's through the beloved of God that he now sees us. And the, the amazing news is that now in Christ, we have this joy, we have this freedom. Why? Because we're accepted, we're declared righteous. We're, this is unbelievable. We're delighted in by God. Scripture would say that God would sing over us, just loves us. Now let me say this, I don't know the depths of your hearts, but I know the depth of my heart. I know my sin. I know my struggles. And to think that me, this, this sin-bent mortal, would have the privilege of being an object of divine love? 
Guys, this is amazing news. And, and here's the key of this freedom, to, to be able to recognize that I can have this freedom and ultimate joy because this love does not rest on me. It's a freedom in Christ, not a freedom in yourself. If it's a freedom in me, it's no freedom all, at all. If it's just a freedom in me, then when life is going great and I feel like things are, are hopeful, then I can feel, oh, oh, of course, because God accepts me. But then when, when depression kicks in or life is not going so great and there's fear or troubles, then I can feel like maybe God no longer accepts me. But here's the amazing news. You're not accepted in you. It's in Christ. I came across this quote. It's a long one, so, so, so stay with me on it because it's just such an amazing way that this guy, Charles Spurgeon, puts this together. He says this, if you could see that all your high joys do not exalt you and all your low despondencies do not really depress you in your father's sight, but that you stand accepted in the one who never alters, the one who is always the beloved of God, always perfect, always without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. How much happier would you be? How much more would you honor the Savior? He says this, rejoice then, believer in this, you are accepted in Christ, in the beloved. He says, you look within and you say, there's nothing acceptable here. But look at Christ and you see if there is not everything acceptable there. Your sin troubles you. God's cast your sins behind his back and you're accepted in the righteous one. Your battle with sin and to, to wrestle with temptation, but you're already accepted in him who has overcome the powers of evil. He says this, the devil tempts you, be of good cheer. He cannot destroy you for you're accepted in him who has broken Satan's head. He ends by saying this, no, by full assurance of your glorious standing, even, even glorified souls are not more accepted than you are. They're only accepted in heaven, in the beloved, and you, as you are now accepted in Christ in the same manner. Can you see why Paul would say in Philippians, I count everything else in my life as trash, as rubbish compared to the cross of Christ? Because that's the only thing I'm glorying in. It's amazing news that, that we can know God, that we can find ultimate joy in him. I mean, Christian, listen, listen, this is your joy. This is where our freedom comes from, that you're in Christ. Here's our second point this morning as we jump into the text. How do I experience the joy of living in this freedom? So if that is my freedom, and, and, and if you've been in church, if you've been coming to our church, you've heard this over and over again, the story of the gospel, the freedom you have, but how do I experience the joy of living in this freedom? I'll tell you where it begins. It begins when we start to see, wait a minute, this isn't about me at all. Life works best when I see that this is actually about God. That's when I get the most out of life. And the world is gonna try to convince you to keep drinking from that toilet of life's all about you. God wasn't made for you. You were made for him. And so, so God, in his love, in his mercy, in his grace, he says, look here, see, see my glory. God calls us to orient our hearts and our wills so that, so that we can see him, that he's the one who satisfies our souls, that knowing and worshiping him is where we find our joy, that God made us for his glory. So really then, our ultimate joy comes when everything we do is for his glory. Now, even in saying that, in church we'll go, mm, amen. But listen, come on, honestly, right? Our hearts push against it, do they not? It's this daily fight to, to orient our hearts to that truth that no, no, ultimate joy is found when my life is for the glory of God and I need to drop these lesser glories. So where do we start? Well, look at 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Look what it says in verse 31. Your Bible's open there. It says, so. All right, let's stop right there. This is gonna be a long sermon. We gotta stop there for a second. So, okay, you can't just go past a so when you're reading in God's word, right? You can't just keep going. You can't say, oh, so, let's keep going. No, 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 because you know that if, if somebody says so, if Paul says so, he's writing that, why? He's saying, in light of what I just said, right? So there's something else here, and, and we get ourselves in trouble when we read God's word and we just rip a verse out of context because it's gonna look really good on a coffee mug. It's gonna make me feel really good, but it has nothing to do with what's being said. So, so we wanna make sure we have the context of what's going on here. Because what's the verse say? It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So what's that mean? Does it mean whether you eat or drink, no matter what, in the mundane of life, just give God the glory. And yes, it does mean that. And we're, we're gonna get there in this message, but there's something deeper going on here. God's really trying to grab a hold of something else here. And, and Paul says here, he says, whether you eat or drink, there, there's a reason why he chose those words, eat or drink because he just explained earlier by what he meant by eating and drinking. From, from 1 Corinthians chapter eight, all the way up to this point here, he's been unpacking an issue in the Corinthian church. And what he's unpacking is this, those gray areas of church life. Those areas where, where you're like, okay, God has not explicitly said that we can't do, he hasn't forbidden us from doing this, and, and I'm, I'm free in Christ, so then what do I do then when I come up against those things where I say, you know what, I'm free in Christ. I haven't seen this in scripture. I think I'm okay to do this. But another Christian goes, no, you can't do that. What do I do in that moment? How do I live out this freedom? Here's what you do. You use your freedom, it says here, to glorify God. We use our freedom to glorify God. Here's the issue going on in the Corinthian church. Let, let, me, let me give you the picture of what's happening. See, Corinth was a city just steeped in pagan worship. Temples everywhere. These, these temples just, just covered the city. And in these temples, they weren't just places of worship. They would also have restaurants attached to them and grocery stores attached to them because what they would do is they would take this, this pagan worship. They would take meat offered as a sacrifice to their pagan gods, all right, their idols, and then, then take that meat, cut it up, and serve it in the restaurants, sell it in the market. And so you'd, you'd roll into a restaurant as a person coming out of church on Sunday after church and you're on your way to the Corinthian Swiss Chalet, right? Okay, in the 80s, that's where we always went after church, right? And you, you roll in there and, 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 and the meat that was served to you was meat that was actually just sacrificed to a pagan idol. And, and, and if you're a, a person who's just come out of that as your past, you're going, man, I am all about Jesus now. I want nothing to do with that anymore. I want to go fully after Jesus. Now, that'd be hard, though, wouldn't it, if, if every grocery store you went to, every restaurant you went to had, had a connection with the, the food that was served there. And so, so some Christians were deeply concerned about this, so they said, I'm staying away from all of it. And some were like, dude, I'm free in Christ. It's just a steak. It's meat offered to something that isn't even real. Man, I'm eating it. In fact, in fact look at verse 26. Quoting Psalm 24, it says, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. They're like, man, the earth is the Lord's. This is his. Pass me the BLT, right? And I'll eat it to the glory of God. And Paul says, yes, you are free. You're free. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, all things are lawful. lawful. You're free in Christ. But he says this, but not all things are helpful. 
all things are lawful, but not all things build up. He's saying this, you have a freedom in Christ to, to seek after your joy in his glory, but, but your freedom is limited by something. It's limited by love. It's to build up. It's to, to be others focused. Then he gives an example. Look at verse 27. It says in verse 27, if, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So, so you're pagan neighbor because you've been, you've been sharing the gospel. You've been talking about Jesus to your neighbor. And he goes, hey man, I want to hear more about this. Why don't you come over to my house for a barbecue? And he throws the steak on the barbecue and you know that steak has been offered as a sacrifice to an idol. And Paul's saying, you're free to eat it. It's just a hunk of meat. Then, then he goes further, goes, but, but, look at verse 28. But if someone says to you, so now there's somebody else at this meal. Hey, this has been offered in sacrifice. He says, do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. He's saying, here's what you do with your freedom you have in Christ. Here's what it looks like to glorify God in that freedom. You, you have this situation where a weaker believer maybe it is, or maybe it's somebody who does not know Christ yet, but they know that as Christians, you're all for Jesus. And they're like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I thought that maybe this wouldn't be something good for you. So how do you live for the glory of God in that situation? Listen, in my freedom, I give up that freedom. In love, you lay down your rights. To, to, to glorify God, to, to live in light of the freedom you have, that freedom from, that we just read the quote from Spurs and says, man, I now get to stand in the presence of God, forgiven and changed. So, so if I have all that in Christ, then just like Christ, I can give up all my freedoms too. I mean, Paul says in chapter nine of 1 Corinthians, he says, I became all things to all men that by all means I might win them to Christ. He's saying this, I, I gave up any freedom I needed to give up if it meant pointing someone to Jesus. Look at verse 29. He goes on. He says, I do not mean, he talks about you do, you do this for the sake of conscience. He says, I do not mean your conscience, but this. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? He says this, if I partake with, thanksgive, thank, with thankfulness, why am, I de, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? He's saying, I'm not, I'm not giving it up because you think it's wrong. You hear what he's saying? He says, I'm not giving it up because, because of your conscience. He, he goes, I, I don't need your approval to live out my freedom in Christ. He goes, but I will do this out of a place of love. I mean, are you seeing the bigger freedom that Paul's painting for us here? I mean, being set free in Christ is more than just being set free from worshiping those idols, from going after those lesser gods. It's, it's this freedom from the idolatry of self. I don't need it. I'm okay. So how do we practically live this out? Because none of us are going to a grocery store with meat that's been offered to idols. So how does this work in our context? How do we apply this today? I would say this. With any decision you're making, as you're going after the glory of God, you're gonna ask these two questions. Will my freedom prefer others? And will my freedom point people to Jesus? Will this decision I'm making prefer others? Will this decision I'm making point others to Jesus? If, if glorifying God, if it's preferring others, if that's what it looks like, I wanna glorify God by, by putting you first. That's what God calls us to. Then, then not glorifying God would be putting myself first. 
So when God's being glorified in your life, you actually have a deeper joy and more freedom because you're free from the love of self. You're free to fully love God. You're free to have a life of joy that loves others. And Jesus said to us, right? He said, it's better to give than to receive. You'll experience more joy in laying down your rights for others. Let me get real practical. You can say, yep, I hate wearing this dumb mask. But for my love for you, I'm gonna put it on. Let, let, let me speak to you right now. Because I know that in this room and listening online, there are people across the spectrum, even on something as simple as that. Whether you think it's the science behind wearing the mask or whether you just think that the other person lives in fear, you love them, so it's a pretty easy answer, is it not? I lay down my freedom for you. Why? Because I have a, a deeper freedom than just that. It's why Paul would say, listen, when, when they say, you want to preach the gospel, you're going to go to jail. What's he say? Great, throw me in jail. I have a joy there, and I'll preach the gospel there. So now, when, when our government says, hey, if you're going to preach the gospel in worship, you've got to wear a mask. Awesome. I love Jesus more than my freedom. I'll wear a mask and do it. You get it? You see in the, the, the freedom that we have? It's a deeper freedom that, that no little freedom being pulled away from us could ever touch the deeper freedom that is this. You are loved by God. And when we fail to love others, when we, we fail to prefer others, listen, it's a love of God thing. It's because we don't love God the way we should. And because of that, we become frustrated by the person because, hey, why, why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they like this? But if we really believe that our maximum joy is a life lived in obedience to God and God saying this to you, lay down your life for each other, now, all of a sudden, my frustrations with life situations, with people, it's no longer a me thing or a you thing. It's ultimately showing that my heart is actually frustrated with God. God, I'm mad that you would create this situation because you're pushing in on a lesser freedom that I wish I had, and I need this. And the question is this, do, do you really love and trust him? I mean, do I really glorify him? Is the cross of Christ, is that what I really lift up in my life as being my hope? Do we consider others? And secondly, I'm saying this, when you make those decisions, does this decision point people to Jesus? Is what I'm choosing, whatever it is in life, you pick the freedom you lay down, you pick the way you're living your life, is it pointing people to Jesus? Is it making God look more glorious? Or does the world look in on the church, on Christians, and see us fighting about the dumbest things? When Jesus said, you're going to be known by your love. So what do we do? We lay down our rights. We lay down our wants. We lay down our desires. Why? For each other's flourishing. Then the world looks in. The world sees. The world goes, man, those Christians are different. Everybody else is fighting about stuff. They're fighting about politics. They're fighting about, about really anything that they want to grab a hold and fight about. And that's all going on. But, but man, these people just keep talking about Jesus. These people just keep sacrificing for others. These people just keep talking about grace, about the cross. These people, people keep living a life that's all for God's glory. And they're not just talking about it. They're backing it up with their actions because they're loving me like crazy. And so we need to ask ourselves these questions with those hard decisions of life, of the freedom you have in Christ. Does this make Jesus, does how I'm living, does it make Jesus look all satisfied? Is this decision I'm making, is it about me or is it about Jesus? Look at verse 31 again. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
Verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. He says, just, just live at peace with people, he says. And just as I try to please everyone and everything, is Paul a people pleaser now? No, no, why is he doing this? He's saying this, I do not seek my own advantage, but that many, of many that they might be saved. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul said, man, I'll give up anything for Jesus. Are you living in a way that points people to Jesus? Could you say like Paul's saying, hey, just do what I do because I'm living like Jesus today. <laughs> That's a heavy weight, right? I mean, this command, do everything to the glory of God, that is not an easy command. Because what's Paul saying? That, that sin then is not just the sins that we do. There's a sin in when I do not do everything to the glory of God. So that when I try to rob glory from God, when I leave God out of any aspect of my life. So here's our last point this morning. The question that I'd be asking right now is this, how do I do everything for God's glory then? How do I do everything for God's glory? It starts with surrender. I mean, surrender everything. You say, God, God you have everything. You have free reign in my whole heart and life. God, you have every area. So, so let me ask you this. Is there an area in your life over which you refuse to let God be God? Is there an area in your life you say, no, not here? Maybe it's something God's called you to in your marriage. Maybe it's at your work. Maybe it's your in your school as a student. Maybe it's something in your private life. Is there an area where you're saying, God, you can't be God here? You never say it out loud. I would say this, come back to the beginning of the sermon where, where we talked about the grace of God, that how we stand in Christ and let, let the grace of God wash over those areas, those areas in your life where you know you're struggling to give that over to God, to live for the glory of God no matter what it costs you. And we repent we remember that, God, your grace is sufficient for even this. And we see the cross again. We see Jesus clearly. And in God's grace, listen, you have all the freedom you need to walk out this commandment. How can I say that? Because scripture says that you have all the power you need because it's no longer you trying to accomplish on your own. It's the spirit of Christ who dwells in you. And the life you live in the flesh, you no longer live. You now live by faith in the Son of God. It's no longer I who live, right? But Christ who lives in me. So church, you are set free, spiritually empowered to live in this freedom of a life lived for God's glory. To have that, that soul-satisfying joy in living your whole life this way. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so what do we do? We, we fight for this view of grace in those areas that we're not living in that way and we rest in that grace. We walk in the power of, of his spirit in obedience and we experience joy. John Piper says, he says this, that you're, more, you're most satisfied, you're most joy-filled when God is most glorified. And so we go after this and we say, God, God where, where am I not finding joy in life? What, what, am I, what am I missing about your character, about your commands? Because if, if obedience to God is not joyful, we have to stop there and go, God, where do I not understand you well? 
So real quickly as we wrap up, let, let me get real practical here. What's this look like? Like boots to the ground. Give me some like things I can put handles on here. So, so, so think about this. Think about the areas you have in your life. Let, let's think about home. How do you do everything to the glory of God in your house, in your home? I think it starts this way, where you see that everything that God's brought into your life, in your home, is being used by him as an opportunity for you to give God glory. Those loads of laundry, the dishes, the leaves that you should have raked and didn't, now they're frozen to the ground. How am I gonna get these off, right? All those mundane, tedious ways of family life, all of a sudden they can be transformed into opportunities for worship. Colossians 3.17 says it this way, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you do, the, the tedious, the mundane, you do it in Jesus' strength to honor Jesus' name, to make Jesus look all satisfied. There was, there was an old monk, he, he, he wrote a book called The Presence of God, Practicing the Presence of God. His name was Brother Lawrence. And he goes into this monastery and he says, I'm gonna bake bread to the glory of God. I'm gonna wash floors to the glory of God. Why? Because he says, I wanna see God in all of this. I wanna have his presence. So real practically, what's it look like? Like with kids, I mean, some days, I'm just gonna be honest, my family's not coming until second service, so I'll say this here. Some days it's hard to find the glory of God in my kids, right? Parents, are you with me? Don't say amen too loudly for kids to be besides, right? And some days it's hard, right? Now, love my kids to death, love them so much, but some days it's hard. Now, what does God's word say about our kids, though? Nowhere in the Bible does it say that our children are a nuisance to us. And I gotta remember that, right? In fact, what does the Bible say about our kids? Kids are what? They're a blessing. Kids are a blessing. And, and so when your toddler shows you once again the reality of the doctrine of, 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 of sin and depravity, one more time, and your, toddler, and your toddler looks you right in the eyes as they do it, right? In that moment, you wrestle with your heart to ask this question, God, how are you blessing me even in this? Maybe something even more serious than just a, a simple thing your toddler's doing. Maybe it's a prodigal child. Sometimes this takes so much work, doesn't it? God, what are you doing in my heart in this? God, God, what are you showing me even in this tough season with my kids where I can find a deeper joy? God, what sin are you revealing in my heart? What perspective are you changing for me to see you as all satisfying? I mean, is, is this moment just an, a, another opportunity for, for you to choose humility over anger? Is it another opportunity to, to, to discipline with love? Is it, is it another opportunity to, to choose to point your heart and then your kid's heart to the all-satisfying grace of Jesus, to the only one who can save their souls? That's a pretty sweet gift we have as parents. I mean, apply this to your marriage. You ask, how, how can I glorify God and how I respond to my spouse? where your heart is the goal in your marriage. No, 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 yeah, yeah, but what about them? Do you, do you see what they've done? Do you see how they press against my joy? All that? No, 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 no. You say, God, how do I glorify you here? I mean, imagine a home with both of you pursuing God's glory in that way. Imagine the joy. Think about just the, the regular mundane things of life. I mean, Paul says here, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Like, like what do I do? How do I give God glory with simple things even? Now you can think about coffee in my harvest mug. 
If you're new here, you can grab one of these after COVID's over, right? This, and, and how do I glorify God? And what do you, you, you just, you're so thankful. You, man, man, God, you, you've given me the ability to smell how awesome this smells. Sorry if I don't have coffee with you right now, right? It's good, it's good. Even though it's cold, it's good, it's good. Right, and you're like, God, thank you. For th- thank you that I can do that. Thank you that I can, I can enjoy. Thank, thank you for your grace that provides a sun to grow those beans. Thank you for your grace that provided the farmer to pick those beans. Thank you for your grace that provides this, this way of, of getting those beans to, to a roaster, to a grocery store, that now I can enjoy this. And your, your heart begins to be bent from the, the gift up to the giver of the gift. In Thanksgiving, you begin to see, even with something as simple as maybe a cup of coffee, listen, how unworthy I am to be able to enjoy this blessing. I mean, boil it right down to the bare bones foundation. Today, today, outside of Christ, I deserve hell. Fall short of God's glory. And and yet in Christ, given this unbelievable gift of new life, forgiven, adopted into the family, loved, transformed, and it sounds crazy that just by taking a drink of coffee, your heart could be drawn to remember that this small gift is given to to an undeserving but but, but transformed, heaven-bound son of the king. All right, quickly, how how do I give God glory? That's my home and the simple things in life. What, What about work or school? Well, Colossians 3.23 says this, whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord and not for men. Work heartily. That means what? I pour out my heart and soul into what God's called me to at school or at work. I say this to my kids all the time. I say, listen, I don't expect you to have the, the best grades in the class. That's not the standard I'm putting on you, but I do put this standard on you. You better work hard for God's glory. How, how would you describe your work life or your school life? Would you describe it as the one who works heartily for the Lord? Because your, your, your testimony as a Christ follower is not just in what you say about Jesus, it's in how you live your life too, right? So, so if you're at your workplace and you begin to talk about Jesus, would they say, man, I see that lived out. Man, you work hard. You work with integrity. You, you work with honesty. What's that look like? You display the glory of God even in how you do something as simple as school or work. Lastly, how, how about church? 1 Peter 4.11 says this, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified, glorified through Jesus Christ. So how, how do you glorify God in church? You, you glorify God by serving. So if our whole life is, I want to live my whole life to the glory of God, then not serving is not an option. And listen, even as I say that, I know it sounds like there's a backhanded reason why I would say that because I'm a pastor of a church. So listen, I'm not after you to serve in church. I'm after your joy. So when I would say, especially in this season, and I would ask, hey, hey, have you found yourself pulling away from serving that you used to do? I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not trying to lay more burdens on you, but I am telling you this. Scripture would say that's where your joy is found. Press in. What's it look like to serve in this season? Where are you experiencing the joy of sharing in kingdom responsibilities? Maybe right now you ask yourself, man, where can I jump back in? Now to do that, to find the joy in that, that takes some sacrifice, right? It is easier to just stay home. When we were like fully shut down and it was church at home and I got to just sit on the couch and 
And that was easier, way easier. Little sacrifice of that. In fact, I would say this if, for those who are watching from home. I mean, if, if you have a, a reason to not gather in a, in a crowd because you are, you're immune compromised, that you have, you're, you're of the age where like, this is dangerous for me to be here, man. Man, all the grace to you, that's why we're doing this, why we put it online would be for that reason. But if you're just staying home because you don't wanna wear a mask, it's just easier to be on the couch. I would say this, it's time to lay down your own preferences. Lay down that freedom. Like there's somebody in our church, she would not want me to even talk about her, but I'm gonna anyway. Um, a lady named Cindy. And, and uh, Cindy has, uh, is suffering from COPD. So she is slowly dying. Her lungs just aren't working. And, and yet she would she, she'd be coming to church still. And I, I remember sitting in her living room, living room and going, Cindy, you, you keep coming to church. Like, are you not worried about showing? And she goes, Kai, I'm already in heaven's waiting room. Where else would I want to be? It's like, man, I want to worship Jesus on my way to see Jesus. So she's just like fired up to be in church. And then she says this, she says, Kai, I can't come to church and serve anymore, but man, I would love to serve. I'm home all day because I can't leave. I would just love to pray for people. Could I be on a prayer team? Could you send me requests? Because I'll just lift people up all day in prayer. Now she's praying like crazy. Why? Bearing one another's burdens, lifting people up, praying for another. So let me ask you again, what would it look like for you to step up in this season to, to, to seek the joy of what it means to serve others? Who this week are you going to reflect Jesus to? As the work team comes up, as we wrap up this morning, as we sing this morning, I mean, if, if we are called to live our lives for the glory of God, let, let me ask you again, let me ask you this. Is there any area in your life right now that you refuse to let God be God? So that right now, right now you begin to surrender. God, you have, you have access to every area. God, I wanna glorify you with everything in my life. Where, where would that start today? Maybe it's in your marriage. There's an area that you know, God, I'm not glorifying you in this. Lord, today, I wanna lay down my freedom to pursue the greater freedom because I know I've been set free in Christ. So Lord, let me live this out of my marriage. Maybe it's at work or school. Maybe it's an area in your private life. Will you be able to say, even right now, God, I give you this. I surrender this. And so I, I would ask you this. Don't just sing this closing song because you know that's what we do. We stand up, we sing, we go home. But, but this would be a prayer for you. God, I don't want to pursue the lesser glories anymore. I want to pursue the greatest glory of your cross, the greatest glory of Jesus. Listen, I'll say this. When we're done here this morning, if, if God's working on your heart Oftentimes, we, we're, we need each other to be able to see this glory more clearly. And if there's stuff in your life that's been a burden to you and you need someone to pray with you, I mean, there are gonna be, be people out in the foyer. I would say, exit those doors instead of that door and there'll be people there to pray with you. If you wanna go outside, there are gonna be people, be people out there saying, hey, would you pray with me? Grab somebody you came with and say, I need you to pray with me because I need to release this to experience the greater freedom and the greater joy, all to the glory of God in everything that we do. Would you stand with me as I pray? 
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the truth of the gospel that says we are free. I thank you that it has nothing to do with me. So that when life is going good or life is hard, that you are still glorious and your love is still poured out on us. So God, for those who are here this morning carrying deep burdens of life situations, that this morning, God, I pray that you would speak to their heart a, a clear word, a word that speaks over the lies of the evil one, a word that says you are my beloved because I see you in Jesus, my beloved. And God, being set free to that freedom, a freedom that nothing could ever touch, a joy that no one could ever take away, that in that freedom, God, we give it all to you. We lay down our lives. We lay down our, our smaller freedoms because we know ultimately we are completely free. Father, I pray that our church will be a church filled with a, a joy like no other because we're living to give you the glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.